Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Itchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Aaron, what do we have for the good folks today? We have an exciting show lined up with one of the all-time greats, FLW angler Dion Hibden, who will be talking about cold fronts, very fitting for this time of year. And then a little later, we'll be joining Ricky Botsford from Bass East to talk about some of the exciting things in a new area that anglers can go for additional information. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. we got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Get away, boy. Good job. Yeah, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing better. Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. It sounds like you had the ultimate spring fishing experience this weekend. Well, I tell you what, if uh, I had a dollar for every time that the weather, the temperature, or different precipitation changed, I would be a rich man because this week was flat, full of it. You know, we had that frontal system that moved through, Steve, and it started out, uh, got up very early in the morning, about 4 a.m. It was 47 degrees, and by the time I hit the boat ramp at 6.30, it was pouring down rain. The temperature had dropped all the way down to around 34 degrees, and we had sleet hail, rain, snow, and a heavy wind. So it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> but you caught fish. And I think that's, a, that's just a heck of a lesson that you can catch fish in these spring-changing weathers. Well, let me be honest by saying I caught fish, but it wasn't until around about 10.30, 10.45 to where I got my first bite, if you can believe that. But I, the interesting thing, Steve, you know, I'm pretty anal when it comes to keeping notes and <laughs> And, you know, keeping track of what's going on. I did go back and I looked at the pressure and what the pressure was doing when that storm came through. And that's right about when the pressure really started stabilizing. But the interesting thing is I had to completely break away from, you know, we had spoken last week. I'd found some fish on docks and uh, started out, you know, trying to hit some of those and, and just spots that I thought they should be. But really, I had to completely abandon that and go to a completely new set of spots, uh, throw a completely different bait to come in and walk away with what I did. So um, anyway, it just goes to show you what we've talked so many times on here with many different pros and, of course, Dr. Jay McNamara and the psychology aspect that goes into it. You can't fish the past. Well, I think there's two great lessons in what you just said. One is just the general lesson of adjustment and being open-minded and approaching a body of water like it's fresh and you've never seen it every day. But I really like what you said about the pressure because, let's face it, when we're fishing in the spring, and these big cold fronts come in. And that was a heck of a storm. It was the biggest snowflakes I've seen in a long time. (laughs) Snowflakes were... It is big as silver dollars, but I mean, let's face it, the air temperature is changing very, very rapidly, but the water temperature, water is not a conductor of temperature like air, and it's just not changing, and the deeper you're talking about fishing, the less that matters. So when you've got these spring storms moving through and temperatures going up and down, you're probably better served to sort of get in that mindset to think about the pressure more than the water temperature when you're in a fast-changing situation. And that's a good point. And the other factor that happened, as you well know, because you, you don't live that far away from me, but, you know, it rained during the night, and I, 
uh, I'm just one of those guys I kept waking up in the middle of the night, and I, I didn't get much sleep that night. I, you know, I was all ramped up about hitting the water the next day. But, I mean, it literally poured. We got over two inches of rain. And I was sitting there when I heard the, it was thundering and lightning and, you know, during the, the night. And I'm thinking, okay, what is the temperature outside? Is it a cold rain? Is it a warm rain? Because the, the lake of which I was fishing, in this case Table Rock, you know, it's a highland reservoir, has a lot of hills around it. So the, the drain that's coming in off of those hills really mm-hmm. collects a lot of water. And what does that mean? That means that when you get a hard, heavy rain like that, you've got a lot of inflow. So in the backs of those creeks, you know, they can muddy up. And a lot of times that can be very good. You know, that stained water, those fish will move up into that warmer water and you can catch them really shallow. But the problem was it was a cooler rain and it actually brought the surface temperature down a little bit. And, uh, you know, just trying to put all those pieces of the puzzle together, it was certainly fun. I, I earned my keep that day. I can tell you that. You know, that's a good point. You do have situations on a lake where you do actually have fast-changing temperatures, like where new water's coming in. And it could be warmer water coming in or cooler water coming in. But as far as the overall lake and out more on the main lake, you're talking about temperatures that change very, very slowly. And you'll hear the old-timers say that when we start having a few warm nights in a row, that's when the fish turn on. And, you know, they're talking about long periods of time where it needs to be warm to affect this poor conductor of heat the water. Right. And, you know, one last thing I will say on that is concerning the pressure. You know, I could tell, and we talk often, it's the the most overused cliche, I think, that, that we speak of, and I'm guilty of it myself, but, you know, as far as letting the fish tell you what they want. Well, I can tell you, you know, up until that 10.30, 10.45 mark to where I actually, you know, was able to start catching fish, the the bass did give me clues. You know, I was, I was pitching a jig, I was throwing a jerkbait, and they wouldn't even touch the jerkbait, but the jig, they were kind of nipping at the at the trailer, the, the claws mm-hmm. or the pinchers on the end of the jig. And that right there, you know, I kept thinking, I'm like, you know, they're just not biting right. And it was a, a textbook day because it was cloudy. You know, we had a little wind that was blowing where you would have thought that the fish would have been looking up. But bottom line, I think what it came to was that pressure situation. Their strike zone was really, really small. They just weren't ready. But if you'll stick it out and you'll constantly put the information to use that you're gathering, then you're able to go back. And, you know, I ended up catching all those fish on a football jig, um, you know, a a three-quarter ounce football jig, dragging Mm -hmm. it inside of right on the inside corners of the points because those fish are staging, you know, they're getting ready to move back. Um, So overall, my day was a success. And, you know, you can't complain too much. I was actually out on the water. And it was self-induced as far as the weather. There was a lot of tournaments over the weekend. I know they got canceled because of the weather situation that was going on around the country. Well, I know. I saw that the BASS guys canceled a day of their tournament. Yep, yep. and so did uh, the Big Bass Tour that we've been talking about, that Slot Lake shootout. You know, I think they had over 700 boats signed up, and, uh, you know, when you have that type of weather move through, safety has always got to be the first and foremost consideration, you know, before you hit the water. Well, you know, Aaron, I give you a hard time a lot of times about you being, you know, you've been getting to do a little more fishing than I have lately, and uh, I'll blame myself for that. But I'll tell you what, that's one day I was pretty happy to be inside. I was sitting there looking at that snow and i knew you were out there i said better him than me today i you know it, it takes some big fish to make me want to sit through this but yeah, but, uh, but i was having a good around, time you still got to be around the sport because i think you were up at uh backcountry outfitters right oh man yeah i spent the day at backcountry outfitters here in springfield I just so enjoy talking to uh fishermen you know and backcountry is uh essentially a fly fishing shop and uh, here in the ozarks we have a lot of trout fishing but i was really sort of taken back by 
by how many people, you know, I'm the guy from Bass Edge, so, you know, the guys that like to fly fish for bass were coming up to me and, and, and wanting to talk about that to me. And it really struck me uh, just being in the shop that day and talking to the folks, how much fly fishing is becoming more integrated into bass fishing. You know, there's even manufacturers out there that make specific bass fly rods. It's good to talk a little fly fishing, bass fishing. Well, Steve, it's funny you brought that up because I hadn't even had the chance to, to mention this to you. I received an email uh, just yesterday from a gentleman who saw our show last week there with Kurt Dove and, you know, we were throwing the frogs up in uh, the rice grass up in northern Minnesota. He sent me some pictures of some flies that he makes and does exactly that. I'm going to forward you these pictures because the, the resemblance that that has to the baits that we were throwing, I can't imagine how effective those would be, you know, for targeting bass. And, I mean, he sent these pictures and I mean hats off to him he's got a question that'll go with it we'll get answered that uh, next week but man it was right up that alley and you know one of the things I, I want you to take me out fly fishing one of these days well, I'm gonna tell you, yeah, absolutely. I try to get you to go, but you just always, me and you just always want to go catch those big bass <laughs> deep, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, of course, you know me, I like to do something a little different every time. So, uh, you know, I take my fly rod out on the road when we go, but somehow I never end up using it. But right. uh, we'll do that, man. We'll we will do that do for that. sure. And, you know, uh, I'm anxious to hear what Dion has to say about these cold fronts because I can remember did that interview with him. It was had a massive cold front come through. You're going to hear some wind noise in that. and my, it's probably part my teeth chattering, but before we get to that, I do want to remind people that, you know, we have that uh, that offer going on that you can receive a free fishing on the edge shirt with any purchase of $40 or more, so uh, don't forget to indicate your shirt size uh, whenever you do that, and it's just kind of our way of saying thanks for being part of the Bass Edge community. Right, and there's not a whole lot of those left, so grab you one of those. It's by far been our most popular t-shirt. Well, i tell you what, Aaron, let's go see what Dion has to say. You've got the truck, you've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zod, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us today for this week's Angler Spotlight is Mr. Dion Hibden. Dion, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Good to be here. You know, uh, we're actually setting out here as we speak, Dion. It's about a uh, nice cold front came through. It's probably, uh, what, in the low 40s, upper 30s, I don't know. But uh, that kind of presents some interesting conditions when, when you think about the impacts that that can have on a fishing day after you've been used to, you know, some 70-degree weather. Yeah, it definitely does. It's uh, it's kind of a crazy deal. You know, yesterday it was 30 degrees warmer, and today it's cool, and it's going to be cool throughout the tournament. The neat thing about it is these are northern bass. Uh, so they really aren't affected quite as bad as some of the fish we fish for in the south. You know, sometimes here in the in the north, you know, it can really spark them into biting, you know, or it can really put them back on what they were doing. Uh, you know, these fish are kind of 
you know, kind of a little bit confused. Uh, you know, it had been warm for a few days and then it comes back in a cold front. So this cold front might change things up a little bit to the better. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll settle them down doing one thing or the other. But the neat thing about a cold front is it definitely changes stuff up. Well, and, you know, of course, we're talking specifically about table rock. But, you know, just in general, cold fronts like you spoke of in this case can be good, but they can also be detrimental. Anywhere south of here, yeah, they're definitely kind of hard on you, uh, you know, because it, you know, you drop that water temperature a couple of degrees uh, on some of these shallower lakes and it'll it'll put them off for a day or so. You know, they'll just kind of quit biting. A lot of times they suspend and that's where a lot of guys miss them. It's not that they're really tougher to catch. It's just that they pull up off the bottom and they suspend. You know, you have a couple different pressure changes that happen when a cold front moves in. Right before a cold front, you know, it's good. You know, you got a good low pressure and they bite good. A lot of times it just kind of sparks them into eating. But then after a day or so of it settling in, uh, you'll get one of them big blue high sky days. And when that happens, that pressure gets real high. And those fish will just pull up off the bottom and suspend. And that's, that's, that makes for kind of a tough fishing day. You know, when you think about uh, that a lot of anglers don't have kind of the luxury of, well, even, even you guys, you know, being tournament anglers, you, you can't control the weather, that, that's for sure, as far as when you're supposed to be out on the water. But are there things, you know, that you do differently? Let's say you were able to get on them one day, like, like you spoke of earlier, uh, right before the cold front low pressure, you know, it really triggers maybe the strike zone's a little bit larger. Uh, but then after that, it goes to bluebird skies the fish pull up what is it that anglers can do differently to still be able to go back to a group of fish and and trigger a uh, you know a response i watch for two different things to happen when a cold front blows in you know a lot of times they'll either suspend a little bit and when they do that i'll change up my lure selection to you know maybe a crankbait or a or a jerk bait something that that comes above that fish as soon as a bass suspends off of the bottom he no longer feeds on the bottom he feeds above him you know when he's tight to a piece of cover then he feeds on the bottom a lot of times but as soon as he suspends he starts feeding up and you just have to determine what he's looking up you know at for the most part as soon as he suspends he starts eating swimming fish you know like shad bluegill stuff like that thing that swims through the water column and for the most part he's going to be just below it suspended and so therefore you have to fish above him you know whether that be with a you know, if you see him on your depth finder and he's 10 foot deep, then you need to throw a crankbait that comes 7 or 8 foot deep, you know, uh, or even 5 foot deep. A fish will travel a long ways depending on the clarity of the water uh, to get something. But the thing of it is, is you have to make sure you fish above that fish as soon as he suspends. So you kind of have to watch for that. Well, and I think you bring up a good point, uh, and, and that's the use of the electronics would you say that, um, you know, versus when they're feeding on the bottom, that electronics really, you know, come more into a, of a factor, I guess, for you in the, in the use of those and determining where that, you know, those fish are holding? Absolutely. One of the things you can do when you're idling into your spot, you know, just pay attention to your depth finder, pay attention to where the shad's at, pay attention to any lone fish that you see, you know, as you're idling, even if you're fishing a boat dock or something, just pay attention to that last, you know, 50 foot that you're idling into your spot and see kind of where the fish are at. If you see them up off the bottom, then you're going to know you're going to have to fish above them a little bit, you know, and so electronics are very key in that situation. In a cold front situation, it's always key to pay attention to where the food's at because uh, that's where the fish are at, you know, they're going to be around them shad. And what about as far as, you know, you, you spoke about using the bait uh, higher in the water column, um, what about as far as colors and, and, you know, the old trout fishing term that you hear us use a lot is matching the hatch. 
most of the time I'm going to go to, you know, shad-oriented stuff. Uh, as soon as he suspends, like I say, the crawfish are kind of out of the picture, the worms and stuff, you know, as far as jig worms, stuff like that, that's imitating the feeding minnow on the bottom. So it kind of eliminates that. Uh, so therefore, you're going to go to your shad-oriented baits, uh, your flukes a lot of times, uh, topwaters, jerk baits, uh, crank baits, you know. Uh, crankbait's kind of critical though because you got to really pay attention to how deep it gets uh, you know you don't want to get below them if you get below them you're gonna you know the reason David Fritz is such a good crankbait fisherman in cold front situations is because he knows exactly how deep his crankbaits go and you know when he sees those fish on his depth finder he knows which one to tie on or which rod to pick up that's got a you know say a, a dt16 on it compared to a dt20 you know and that's what the difference is is that couple of feet of staying above them you know you have to stay above that fish so you have to have a pretty good knowledge of how deep your baits get and you know do you do that uh, for instance for for your case is, is that something that you test out in advance in a in some sort of a tank or just you know just from experience i mean when you take a crankbait out of the box can you automatically assume it's going to run the depth that it states no no not at all because you have to understand different line size varies at you know a foot to two foot you know at, at any given time and, and that's one of those deals where you have to watch a guy like david a little bit and kind of understand what he does 99 percent of the time he throws 10 pound line you know and it's the same 10 pound line on the same rods and if you'll watch the way he casts 90 percent of the time he casts about the same distance away from his boat most of the time and that is because he knows exactly how deep that bait will go on that line and that cast, you know. So he, he has a very good understanding of a foot to two foot difference, you know. It's just like you and I, we haul off and we make a cast over the moon and we crank it down. It seemed, oh man, that thing got really deep that time. It did because you threw it a lot further and you might have, you know, even cranked it a lot slower because it was a longer cast. You know, everything works into that. You know, you have to pay attention to, you know, how deep your bait gets. It's just like these jerk baits, weighted jerk baits. It's the same situation. If it's a slight, slight sinker, you know, if it sinks a little bit, you have to know how many feet it sinks every 10 seconds, you know, to, to know exactly how deep you're working your bait over the top of these fish here this time. You know, all that stuff's crucial, and you have to figure that out ahead of time. Sure. And, you know, talking about, about line sizing, is there traditionally one line size that you will always use? I know you spoke that uh, David Fritz always uses 10-pound. How does the line size and then also line type play into that approach? Well, it plays into it a lot. Like on these jerk baits right now, I'm throwing fluorocarbon, and I throw the same size fluorocarbon day in, day out. Uh, so I get used to it, you know, and I know how my baits perform on it, and I know how deep they'll go on that particular line. That's all crucial to the depth that it goes. When I test my baits, any bait that I test, I test it on the water, and I adjust it on the water, you know, through the aid of suspend dots or, or lead wire to wrap around the front hook or something. But I adjust it as I figure out the depth of the fish, you know. Now, when you speak about uh, using, you know, most of us are familiar with, with the suspend dots and that, but let's say, for instance, on taking a piece of solder or, or lead wire or something on the front hook. Is there a reason why you place it on the front hook versus, you know, say the middle hook if they have three hooks or, or the back hook? A lot of times I want my bait to float a little bit head down because your line's going to compensate for it. Your line, when you tie onto the line and as you twitch it, your line's basically going to hold the nose up a little bit. Um, you know, the fact that it's got 50 foot of line on in front of it, that's going to actually hold it upward a little bit more. So if you... Uh, 
you know, like these new mega bass baits and stuff, when you hold it right here next to the boat, it looks like it's floating almost straight head down. Well, you put 50 foot of line out in front of it as you're twitching it along, and it's more level in the water, you know, than a guy's thinking. Uh, you know, and, and I've I've done that by making a long cast and, and looking at it. And some stuff in a pool, too. You know, I actually watch and see what it looks like in, in a swimming pool, you know. Sure. Uh, well, and I think that would also, you know, come into play when you when you think about hard baits and kind of the hookup and, you know, people talking about losing fish. Does that weighting that front hook help with what we call the head strikes, you know, of, of getting them hooked up farther on, on the bait? Or do you have any opinion on that? When they're really eating it, and because it floats so head down, a lot of times they really swallow that bait. And, you know, on a lot of these new lures that you see, you know, I think it was an accident, to tell you the truth. And first, they, they were making a bait that cast really good. Because, you know, a jerk bait really stinks when it comes yeah. to casting. And making that throwing system where the weight can go all the way to the front or all the way to the back, and, and that's actually what they call it. It's a, you know, a casting system. It made the baits, like I say, when you jerk it real hard, made the, all those weights go to the front and when it does it makes it float head down by golly when it does that and they're eating it there are certain times when they're eating a jerk bait that a mega bass they'll swallow they'll have it clean all you'll see is your line sticking out of their throat of those good ones you know and it's all because of the way it's floating down and my theory on that is a bass the bigger a bass gets the lazier he gets he would just as soon eat a dying shad as a fully live one and when that thing's floating a little bit head down on a slack line and you're just letting it sit there that fish actually thinks that that, that shad is dying so he swallows it head first in order to eat the whole thing compared to if it's floating level he realizes he's got to sneak up behind it and catch it so therefore it's just a more it, he thinks that shad is completely dead when it's floating head down well and it makes sense i mean if you think about especially on this topic talking about cold fronts and and just coming out of you know the the cooler water maybe you've had some erratic uh, weather but bottom line the the bass their metabolism is probably a little bit slower as, as the the water warms the bait or the forage of which it's pursuing you know that has an impact on them um so i'm sure that you know the pace or the pause, let's say, between jerks has something to do with what's going on, um, you know, with the forage that they're pursuing. Absolutely. Right now you see a lot of these shad, they'll swim up to the surface and they'll just flip one time. And when they flip, what that is, is that's kind of their dying breath right there. They're, they're done after that. And when you watch that shad, for the most part, when it goes out of your sight, it may swim just a little bit, but then about three or four foot down, it'll just, it's done. The shad actually dies. And when it does, for the most part, it sinks basically head down. And like I say, it's it's dead. It's going to the bottom. I think that's why they attack that thing from the head. They're not really attacking it. They just swim up there to swallow the thing. You've never seen a shad's head out of a bass's throat you know it, it's it's always it's always the tail sticking out of his throat so he has to s swallow everything properly and uh, he just thinks that's dead he doesn't have to catch it you know it's sitting there real real still in the water and it's headed down and you know he thinks it's dying so well closing thoughts uh, before we get out of here because we are about out of time and the the color choices for jerk baits I always find it fascinating you know when you have clear water certainly that's a little bit different than stained water could you go through kind of what your approach is on on what color choices you may use 
used in a stained water situation versus, you know, a crystal clear water? I throw basically shad colors 99% of the time. It's going to be a shad print of some sort. Now, in your dirtier water, I'll throw more solid colors. I'll throw like pearl white with a black back. Uh, you know, I won't. it won't be juiced up or jazzed up at all. It'll be just white with a dark back or chartreuse with a dark back. As the water clears, then I go to start using my more translucent colors, you know, my clear colors or my chrome type colors. Because, you know, everything, once it gets, you get into cleaner water, it looks shinier. It looks, you know, more natural. But basically in the dirtier water, I use more drab colors, just real solid colors, solid white with a black back, you know, bone with a black back. As the water clears, you just want to go to your more translucent and more sparkly colors. Well, Dion, unfortunately we are out of time, but uh, certainly appreciate you being on the edge. You're always so generous with your time. Best of luck and uh, look forward to talking with you in the future. You bet. Thanks for having me. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe. Stump grinder. And tool carrier ever made. The Zahn. The revolution is here. Hi, this is Terry Baxay, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, that was all good stuff from Dion, and it sort of applies to what to your weekend on the water. Yeah, what are the odds of that? You know, I don't think it could have uh, been any more closely related to what you experience in real life. But uh, no, thanks to Dion, and of course, you know, he's he's always a reckoning force anytime he hits the water, and I, I really appreciate the information that he shared. Yeah, and of course, he's here from our native Missouri, and that jerkbait bite in, in like March, I mean, that's kind of a time on the calendar for all of us here. We, we all kind of look forward to that bite. Well, boy, that is for Sure. And, you know, I wish I would have hit the record button right before we were getting ready to go off into the interview. He told me a story back, I think it was three or four years ago, and it was on when BASS came to Table Rock. He fished that event, and, you know, he's known for throwing those gigantic uh, Rapala big wooden baits that he weights down. I mean, these things are the size of some bass that are weighed in, Steve. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, his thing is is targeting those underwater trees that you can't see, those great mm-hmm. big hardwoods, because he believes that's where the big bass live, you know, this time of year that are staging up. And uh, he got his lure hung, one of those big jerk baits hung in the top of a tree. And so he went over to it, obviously, didn't want to break it off, but he was sitting there trying to get it off, and he said he was jerking it literally six feet from the lure, and he jerked it, and right when that thing came off of that limb, a bass that weighed over six and a half pounds just inhaled that thing and he said here i am you know i've got my rod up above my head the real handle he said this thing eats you know of course it's green and i mean i was literally in stitches what are the odds of that and he actually got it in the boat and took big bass for the tournament wow why didn't that ever happen to me <laughs> yeah so i guarantee you that's a lost bait on the end of my life yeah, i tell you no, what no but, question. but anyway we've got a good listener question this week aaron it's going to put you to the test here uh, i like this i might uh, need your help what's the meaning of life <laughs> here we go <laughs> but uh, no, I like this, and it's from Justin. Justin says, I hear the pros all the time talk about what they look for in choosing a bait when they're on the lake fishing. They say you should look for depth, cloud coverage, water temperature, 
bass activity, cover, vegetation, etc. How do you choose a bait using these factors? I try to use that information when I'm fishing, but once I find the answer to all of them, I don't know what bait to choose. For example, if the depth of the water you're fishing is 20 feet and the water is murky and it's cloudy, what bait would you use? And that's from Justin. Justin, thanks uh, Thanks for the question. You are going to put us to test here, buddy. Uh, Steve, I'm going to need your backup on this, but I would say using his example, if we look at the conditions that he gave us, you know, the depth of the water that you're fishing is 20 feet, water color is murky, cloudy, what bait would you choose? First and foremost, I'm going to go to my confidence. In other words, what bait do I have the most confidence for those conditions? Okay, that is based upon past experience, you know, information that you've picked up maybe through magazines, listening to the edge, those type of things. But try and throw or present something that you have confidence in. Now, if we're looking at it strictly from the the fundamental side, you know, if we know that the water is murky, well, there's no reason that those fish wouldn't be a little bit shallower unless the water is very cold. We know that cold, muddy water can be a lot more difficult than warmer, muddy water. But if we look at kind of the essential of what a bass needs, you look at food and security, and then obviously, you know, this time of year, the ability to reproduce, that's, that's a big factor. So if we have that warmer water, there's no reason why those fish wouldn't be shallow. Additionally speaking, that murky water, as well as it being cloudy, there's no reason why we couldn't present something, a moving bait or, or more reaction bait to where they're just going to reach out and latch onto it. You know, clouds normally loosen the fish up from cover, so possibly pick up, you know, a spinner bait, maybe a crankbait, something that's going to resemble those bait fish. If that doesn't work, because that's going to allow us to cover a lot of water and it's going to be able to uh, gather information very quickly, then maybe we go to more of the crayfish, uh, you know, throwing a wiggle wart, uh, something that's going to grind into those rocks, resemble that crayfish going across the bottom. And then finally, you know, my last choice on that situation is going to be picking up maybe like a jig, you know, where I can pitch that into the cover uh, around boat docks or a shaky head if they're wanting something that's a little more of a finesse or a slower fall uh, if they're not eating real well. But again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. That pressure situation, you know, can... Uh, create a little bit of a lockjaw situation starting out. Absolutely. You know, and I, I will say just a, just a couple of brief things. Uh, I would urge Justin to listen to what Aaron did this weekend. Making selections on baits and how to fish, we're talking about a starting point. You know, we're trying to determine where we think those fish might be, what they might want to eat. But uh, if that's not the case, you still need to be very versatile and to change. So, First of all, when we're making these decisions, these are general guidelines and starting points. The fish are going to decide what they want to eat and where they want to eat it. Uh, as far as choosing baits, I think, for me personally, I think that perhaps the biggest factor is the kind of water I'm fishing. If I'm fishing in vegetation and cover, I need something I can fish around vegetation and cover. Uh, it's not going to get hung up and then I can fish effectively. Plastic worm type baits, uh, uh, jigs, uh, spinner baits. If I'm out in open water, you know, a crankbait, you know, crankbaits are a great bait, but uh, I like to look at the type of water I'm fishing, make sure my bait, make sure I can fish in that water effectively and efficiently and uh, make that choice on that first bait. But if it ain't working, let's move on to plan B. Great observation, Steve, because don't you think it also comes down to, I mean, when we're making reference to, you know, let's say Justin's questions or, um, you know, just finding fish and selecting the bait, you know, it comes down to we're really 
focusing on high percentage areas. It's not mm-hmm. to say that the fish won't react to any of the baits, you know, that you have in your tackle box or that there's not fish, you know, swimming everywhere. But I always go back to that interview that we've had on here before with Bob Lusk and kind of that, you know, 80-20-90-10 rule that, uh, you know, 90% of the bass can be found in 10% of the water and we just have to kind of hone in on where those are at but there's fish roaming you know a lot of times and you know another bait to kind of throw in there too into what you had mentioned as far as the grass you know is the lipless crankbait you know that's Mm -hmm. something that you can throw out there this time of year you know bring it through rip it off the tops of those those underwater uh, grass lines and really draw them out and create that reaction strike to where they'll come up and eat it come out of that grass show themselves and you better hang on well this marvelous puzzle of trying to figure out fish is what makes this game so great and i listening to you talk I, it's hard for me not to think back to our trip to uh, vermilion this year we went into that with all the advice everybody telling us all the experts all the locals it's going to be a deep bite and our host jonathan van dam went up there and tried fishing like we all thought it would be those fish ended up being in two or three feet exactly. so you know uh we can talk about this till the cows come home but uh the fish make the final decision and you need to make sure that uh you're very very versatile on yep. the water and i think that's why it goes back to confidence you know if you don't believe in it there's no point in making a cast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I see that uh, Bass Edge has finally caught up with me in the tech world. <laughs> <laughs> that is a scary statement right that, there now. I'm that, telling you. Yeah, it is. A, it is a bit scary. Uh, uh, my wife will get a big kick out of that when yeah. she hears that. But yeah. uh, I understand we're, we're Facebooking it these days. We are Facebooking it. And, um, yeah, thanks to uh, Suda, who's kind of spearheading that. You know, if you'd like to join, uh, Bass Edge does have a page and a group out there. But if if you'd like to become a friend of that, uh, by all means, you know, send out that friend request. And Steve, that's probably about all I can say about Facebook. Otherwise, I would be lying because I have no idea of how that works. So, anyway. Well, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm new to it too. But I'll tell you what, uh, it's just another opportunity to interact with with our our viewers and our listeners. And it's hard. I think it'd be hard for people to understand how much entertainment and joy we get out of just visiting with the folks out there. So, man. And keep those emails coming to us. Let's stay in touch with you guys. Keep the questions coming. We're giving away some great stuff here. Stay in touch out there. Yeah, please do. Again, it helps us learn, and it's just a true joy, kind of the you know the Bass Edge family that we like to call it. We certainly appreciate all the nice notes, the questions, and uh, causes us to raise our game. Well, Aaron, we need to take a quick break here, and on the flip side, we will visit with Ricky Botsford of BassEast.com. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Hi, I'm Denny Brower, and you've got the edge. All right, welcome back. You know, here on Bass Edge Television, the website, e-newsletter, whatever, it doesn't matter because we are always looking for new resources that will help give us the edge, and our next guest provides exactly that. And that is none other than Ricky Botsford of BassEast.com. Ricky, thanks so much for being part of the edge. 
Hey, Aaron, I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you, you know, and, and it's not that Bass East is brand new or anything, because actually you guys have been around for about nine months. But, you know, the interesting thing, if, if we kind of take a step back in time when you started this, it was almost based upon the premise that, you know, techniques that were presented out west uh, obviously take a little bit longer to reach areas such as the Midwest and certainly the East Coast. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, well, what I found, Aaron, was it was kind of frustrating. You know, I'd find a new technique, take it out and use it, you know, and would be all excited about it, only to find out, you know, the guys out West have been doing it for, you know, three years. So I, you know, kind of got the idea, hey, let's try to streamline this thing and get these techniques here a little bit quicker. Well, and, and I think that's a great concept and a great idea because the advantage to that is, you know, through the website, obviously you have a global reach but the other thing that I see you know you guys have a tendency to focus not only on the upper echelon of bass fishing where you'll see some of the industry pros that we're all very familiar with but also you know you bring in more or less that grassroots regional focus to where you never know you might see your neighbor down the street uh, being featured on BassEast.com. That's exactly right you know what I found there are a lot of great fishermen out there you know a lot of regional guys a lot of guys fishing the strand series even the Bassmaster opens, you know, there's some great fishermen. And we just wanted to, you know, kind of give those guys a place that they could showcase their talents. Uh, again, you might see your neighbor down the street literally on our featured angler, you know, one week and Jonathan Van Dam the next week. Well, I can see where that would be a tremendous advantage even if you're not, let's say, into the competitive aspect of, of fishing because, you know, those anglers, those grassroots guys that spend a lot of time on those bodies of water, you know, heck, if I'm coming out east, that would be a great resource for me to be able to pull up results, find out how they caught them, what they were catching them on, the areas of the lake, and, and you're able to gain information and almost do a lot of pre-fishing through, you know, searching out that information uh, before you even hit the water. Absolutely, and, you know, we we also have a, a form on bass that you know, if anybody has a question about a body of water, they can go to that form. They can post it up there, and somebody will get back to them. You know, with the latest information on that particular lake or river, or whatever it might be. Well, why don't you go through and give us kind of a quick breakdown of some of the things that viewers and visitors can expect to see on BassEast.com? Sure, and what we try to do is uh, you know, keep up with the what's going on out on the major bass trails, as well as you know, some regional stuff. We do a lot of work with fishers of men, anglers' choice. You may even find results on there from a, a region tournament here in Virginia and North Carolina. You know, it could be about anything. Um, we have a, a tackle review section where we try to take some some new tackle coming out, new products, and you know, break that stuff out to the public and say, hey, you need, you need to go try this. We do a featured angler section again, which is, you know, it could be anybody up there. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of your upper echelon pros. We have a bass cast section where, you know, we'll have different guys on talking about techniques, uh, you know, maybe a pre-tournament report, a post-tournament report. Just about anything you can think of, you can find on Bass East. Well, and, and you know, the thing about that is that by having that literally at your fingertips you can take that information and again learn something i've i've always said that you can learn something from anybody when it comes to our sport and you know having both the video the audio being able to read it firsthand 
you know, with concentrations there, not only on local lakes and rivers and streams on the East Coast, but then bringing that Western flair and, and some of the other techniques that's used with success all over the United States, it's kind of a winning combination. Yeah, because, I mean, a, a bass is a bass. It doesn't matter whether he's in California or, or Virginia. And the things that these guys are doing out there are pretty cutting edge. So to get it here a little bit quicker, I think, you know, I think we'll be doing everybody a, a good service. Well, and, and the other thing, you know, most of us as anglers, we're, we're kind of addicted. You know, it's kind of like our tackle, if you think about it. I mean, we're, we're often considered as pack rats and, and guys that are addicted to just collecting things. But that can also be said about the information because, you know, you can really never get too much information and education when it comes to bass fishing because there is no one specific way to catch a bass. There's multiple ways, and by sharing that information, that's how we all get better. Absolutely, and what, you know, what I stress, we do a lot of work clubs and stuff you know, here in Virginia also, um, and what I stress to those young anglers is to start keeping a journal now because you know they'll be able to look back 10 years from now and, and maybe draw something from that that'll help them you know, somewhere down the road. Well, there, there's no question, and certainly you know, before we get out of here, one of the things that I would like to highlight is, is that whole forum discussion that you guys offer to where really anything goes and from equipment to baits to you know, bodies of water. Uh, you can learn a lot through that process. Yeah, it's an invaluable tool. If you're going to a lake or you want to know what lake's hot, if you can you know, have somebody that you can go to that you know, can maybe give you a heads up before you get there, you're, you're way ahead of the game. Ricky, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I just want to thank you for providing yet another resource uh, to help us become better anglers. And I know we've said it a hundred times, but how can our listeners find out more information when it comes to Bass East? They can just go to the website. It's www.basseast.com. That's uh, com. And uh, check us out there. We have a contact area on the site. You just fill out the form, and I'll get back to them. Uh, feel free to use the form. We're, we check that you know, multiple times a day. And I'll personally uh, you know, make sure that their questions are answered. Well, once again, Ricky, thanks for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Okay, Aaron. Talk to you soon. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, Aaron, before we get out of here, why don't you give something away? Yeah, I, and, and you know, I like how you do that because you always give me these nice, easy towns to try and pronounce, but I'll be happy to. I'm going to do my best. Of <laughs> well, you're so good at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. Stick with that answer, too. Um, no, this goes out to Peggy from, I believe, Escalon, California. And Peggy, forgive me if I mispronounced your name, but uh, she receives a Bass Edge Season 2 DVD set and a Bass Edge decal, so congratulations out to Peggy. And just a reminder, if you have not gotten in the entries 
for joining this fun. Uh, we are giving away some great stuff. I'd like to see you do that. All you got to do is go to BassHedge.com and uh, enter in your email, your contact information, and you'll be eligible for the next drawing. Steve, mm -hmm. who do we have up next week? Oh, this is going to be a good show. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have FLW angler Michael Murphy talking about the science of fishing. Oh, I look forward to that because I know Michael has a degree in fisheries biology, young upcoming angler, uh, so he'll have some great stuff to share with us. But be sure to uh, join us for our ongoing season of Bass Edge, seen every single week on the Outdoor Channel at 8 a.m. on Thursdays, 9 a.m. on Fridays, and Saturday afternoons at 2.30 Eastern Time. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for an opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, be sure and log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.